and I've talked about this so many times. It's not about who already has the largest market share. It's who's taking the most market share at, at the most rapid rate. You know, so I'm more interested in growth than I am in what's already in existence. Right. That's where you're going to get the most bang for your buck. Yeah. So you can invest in these small companies that are, you know, yeah, you know, they're only gaining small percentage of the mix, but from their perspective, you know, these companies might have doubled or tripled or, you know, 10 X their sales because, you know, because they're gaining that share. So if you can get in early before, um, before that goes up, it's going to be huge. All right. Welcome to the Angel Research Podcast. My name is Jason Freert. I'm here with Jeff Siegel, managing editor and founder of Green Chip Stocks. Welcome, Jeff. Thank you, sir. I have to say I'm co-founder. Brian Hicks was the okay. other co-founder. You're giving him credit, credit on to. that? I mean, if it wasn't for him, it wouldn't exist. <laughs> you know? True. Um, and it's been a bit since you've been on, so we got a bunch of stuff to cover. But um, I think the first... Um, the thing we were, we were talking about before this was Trump came out and said he's he's not going to let a, a central bank digital currency happen, um, I guess, because Vivek Ramaswamy got in his ear and on his endorsement. And uh, he said he's not going to do it. He didn't sound like he even knew what it was. <laughs> he didn't know what it was. <laughs> but he was like, oh, yeah, I'm not going to. And people were like, yeah. And he's like, oh, you guys know about that? So it seemed like he just learned about it. But overall, if yeah. he's a- against it, that sounds like a, a at least a good thing if he becomes president again. I feel like typically if he was against something, I'd probably be for it. <laughs> um, but in this case, I have to agree with him, even though if he doesn't know what it is. Right. Um, and for those who don't know, central bank digital currency, we just refer to it as CBDC. Right. Um, and I am uh, absolutely opposed to it. Um, for so many reasons, just the, the, the whole idea is that all your money is going to be controlled essentially by a government-run algorithm. Right. I mean, that's what it boils down to. So one of the things I've talked to talked about in the past is the idea of you have a CBDC in place. Um, there's there's a certain level of control over your money at that point. So any it, it, it's so anything can happen. So let's say for an example. Uh, you want to invest in a, um, a psychedelics company. Okay. Well, maybe whoever is a president at the time, or maybe there's some, there's some other politician that doesn't like psychedelics and sees that you, you want to invest $5,000 into a psychedelics company. Well, under a CBDC um, scenario, it could be flagged you know, because it, it, it maybe it's, it's because it's discussing psychedelics, it gets flagged and they say, no, you can't, you can't invest in that company with your CBDC. And if you try, we'll just turn it off. Right. We'll and, just turn your money off. Yeah. And they, you know, it's not like they don't, some of that power they already sort of have. Mm-hmm. So it's like you would, you're giving them additional power in that regard. And a lot of people are like, oh, this is conspiracy stuff. But Two things on that point. One, you know, it's another country, but Canada basically did that with that Canadian trucker um, protest, I guess. They they basically froze people's bank accounts who were, like, donating money to the truckers to, like, 
and, right. and like they were sending them so they could like buy food like while they were like doing their <laughs> thing and they basically just like shut it down yeah um two it was recently came out i guess that the was it the fbi was during the january 6th investigation they basically were looking into people that had like done i don't know venmo transfers and right. had like maga in the like thing <laughs> right. and like trying to tie them so it's like it's already there right them potentially to use you know the ultimate form of weapon really is people's is your oh, is yeah. the monetary right well okay so i'm gonna show you something let's oh, look you brought at a prop yeah i brought props just <laughs> okay so jason here's say i want to give you twenty dollars say you you bought me some weed and I, and I need to pay you back so i give you twenty dollars here's twenty dollars you, you take it i get my weed that's that yeah um under a cbdc scenario the government could be like no yeah. We don't, I don't want you to be able to use that money for that. They can't. Con this is like in real life. Like I can give you this twenty dollars. They, they can't unless they barge in here and take it. Right. You know, they can't stop the transaction. But under a CBDC scenario, not only can they stop it, they can stop it within a millisecond. Right. You know, there's a there is a uh, an algorithm in place that'll say, hey, no, they're not allowed to do this. Yeah. They're saying you're not allowed to do what you want to do with your money. Yeah. And maybe it's illegal, but maybe it's not either. I, quite a few things would not necessarily be illegal at all. You know, we talk about the social credit system they had in China. Well, what if the same thing happened here? Well, you didn't, you know, you didn't get your your vaccine. No. Yeah. We're going to yeah. cut your money off. Yeah. I think it's 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 interesting because I think when people talk about the idea of that come, they're like, oh, that's a that's a Chinese authoritarian like socialist thing that wouldn't happen here. <laughs> but it's like. It happens in like more subversive like ways, right? It's like first you're gonna do it was like you said, they mentioned the vaccine stuff. They're like, Oh when they wanted people to do that, they're like, Oh, let's like threaten their job basically. Yeah. You know, to do that. And so it, you know, that was an extreme scenario, but the government has certain tools at their disposal that they'll use. They'll say they don't they won't use it until Unless it's an emergency. Right. And then, you know. And then all a, of a sudden there's an emergency. <laughs> right. You know? uh, okay, we're not going to. And like like we've said multiple times in the past, when government has has a certain level of power, they're like, they why would they give it back? Like, well, exactly. they just At, don't. Yeah. After 9-11, all of a sudden everything was under surveillance. Yeah. Right. And American citizens lost constitutional rights. Because there was an emergency and we were attacked. So this is in your best interest. You know, if I say this stuff, sometimes people will just assume like, oh, you're just being conspiratorial. When has the government ever done anything in your best interest? Right. Ever. It's like, how, how many times do you have to, to look at situations where the state has, has, uh, has stolen from you? Whether, you know, through taxation or, um, you know, subs subsidization of different uh, uh, industries that comes out of your pocket. You know, all the wars that we get into that af directly affect us. What, you were talking about Dave Smith earlier, and he was talking about. Oh, yeah. He said if we had to tax, if we had to levy a personal tax on each U.S. citizen to fund the wars, like, and it actually showed, like, a line on him on, yeah. your, on your pay stuff, people would be like, no, fuck this. <laughs> what are you talking, oh, wait, you want, well, you want to use my money? But essentially, people, that's what's happening. 
and it's sort of through inflation and you know money printing and all that uh -huh. kind of stuff that people don't realize it they don't you know that's the thing with like covid they don't realize like all that fiscal stimulus that gave us the inflation like at the time it was like, oh, great, yeah, like I got this money, yeah, yeah, we need this, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, a couple of years later, they're like, wait, that wasn't a good idea, you know. And then meanwhile, like the people that made the decision are doing are, – they're not even in power anymore or they've made their money and now they're off, you know, consulting or lobbying from somebody right. else. And then it's just like – and then the new guy comes in and is like, oh, yeah, let's blame that guy. We're not going to do it. And then they end up fucking doing it again right. too. Right, So Yeah, um, I, I am very – I just do not like the idea of CBDC at all. And I've actually done some research to trying to figure out, okay, is there a way right. that we can protect our wealth and our freedom from this? And I have found nothing. You know? Yeah, well, it, it's not there yet. Um, you know, cash. So just having a certain amount of cash on hand, I think. Um, but the problem is with that, as we talked before, is there's more and more places that are like, we don't accept cash. Mm -hmm. Like, A, it's convenience. Like, COVID really kickstarted it. It was like, oh, no, like, if you touch that money, it's going to have COVID right. on it. <laughs> so don't give me that COVID money. So we're only doing, which is crazy because a lot of cash-only places, like, they do that because then they don't have to um, pay the credit card right. fees. <laughs> right. And so they were like magically like, oh, yeah, we're going to do this. It's like, and they, you know, were paying two, three, however percent to the to the credit card companies. And they were like cool with it because and, – and I know the workers that worked at that place, they're like, yeah, I don't want to have to deal with cash. Yeah, just, just tap your thing there. Right. They don't have to do any math or give you change or anything. So most of the time it was there. And then business was actually increasing – um, to some of these places that were still open that they're like, okay, yeah, great. Like, I don't want to have to deal with cash. And then they're like, oh, we're not going to go back. And then slowly, slowly, mm -hmm. it's just this sort of like, oh, we're, we don't deal with cash. It's just a pain in the butt. And then, you know, now we're never going to go back to cash and you roll in there with like, you know, $5,000 in cash. And it's it essentially, it's worthless because you can't use it to get anything. Right. Well, um, so the... The interesting thing about, because you mentioned cash, and even, let's say, in the absence of that situation where people don't take cash, under the scenario, again, of CBDC, um, say you, you hoarded all this cash and you have all this cash, like, I'm protected, I'm protected. Well, once you spend that cash, that cash is going to be converted into CBDC. Right. So then what are you going to do? And I know, like, a lot of gold bugs will be like, well, this is why I own gold. Yeah. Nobody cares. You think? Do you think for... First of all, how many people are really going to accept gold as payment? I mean, I couldn't – you couldn't find somebody – well, I, I mean, shouldn't say that. It people, would be but... out. But if you had, like, an, the same amount, that you'd have to overpay for what you – you right. know what I mean? Like, hey, I'm going to give you $2,000 worth of gold for a freaking candy bar or whatever. Right. Like, people would ex <laughs> right. take that. But if it was like, hey, you had this small about like the gold rings or something, and maybe it's worth like you know a hundred dollars, and you try to barter with that, period, I'm like, nah, like what are you talking about? Just give me, just give me the cash or like Venmo me, exactly. Kind of thing. Exactly. And there's no actual physical means of it. So I do agree. I think eventually crypto, um, certain methods of crypto can solve this um bitcoin in general is still traceable right they still have these on ramps that you have to do you still have to connect to a bank um and then have them wire you know when uh 
when I first started buying crypto a while back, uh, places like Coinbase would let you buy crypto on like a credit card, not like a debit oh, card, yeah. like a credit card. Um, like you could buy like, you know, depending on your limit, you could buy like $20,000 on a credit card on crypto. And then like I did it a couple of times because it was like by the time it uh, by the time you had to pay that. It had already doubled, so it was just like, yeah, and, and you get the credit card points, all that kind of stuff. So they stopped doing that, I think, because people were not, like, they were just going YOLO into yeah. it at the time, and it was driving this mania. But at the end of the day, that still, you know, you still have to find somebody that's going to transact into it. And um, But in some of these third-world countries where the central banks have gone nuts, Bitcoin is pretty popular. Like people will get their paycheck and just convert it right into that because, like you said, they can't get their paycheck and just go like convert it into gold. Like it's just there's not right. you know it's just easy. You can you can get the paycheck. Maybe it's in a bank account and then convert it into crypto and hold it in a crypto wallet. Um, but, but do you honestly believe that you know theoretically? I love the the idea of of crypto. In practice, I don't buy for one second that the government can't control it. It's not going away. It'll always be here, but it will have some influence over it. I mean, how easy it is, how easy is it for a government to go in and manipulate it? Well, in... in And steal it. Yeah, I don't, you know, in they can't steal it, um, but what they can do is make it very difficult to transact into the currency that you want so you need to go full blown like once you're on the blockchain you can't come back out you know right. what i mean and what they can also do is provide a lot of pressure to these things so yeah. even canada tried to like people were using crypto for those truckers and they tried to like go to the crypto exchanges and be like you need to stop these people from doing it. and they're like you that's not how crypto works you know what i mean right, you can't right. stop it um but the, but look at it like this though think about all the things not just, i'm not saying any it could be any government around the world china russia the united states whatever you know they do what they want you know it would not be out of the realms of possibilities to see maybe there's a uh, a a mining operator that has all this energy that, that has like a field of solar panels and natural gas backup and all this stuff. And they're just, you know, they're making all this money from all these different transactions because they have the energy, which is is great. But then the, how easy yeah. would it be for someone to come in and be like, I'm just going to tear your shit down? Yeah, that's what where, are you gonna do? yeah, these, these um, points of failure are still in the system. The internet, right? What what if they shut down your internet? You <laughs> right. know what I mean. I mean, you can kind of find a way, but um, they can make it very difficult at yeah. every turn. And I think a lot of these things have happened, and then they cause the price of you know something like Bitcoin to really. They could probably tank the price mm. um, if they, for example, and like China has supposedly done this multiple times where they essentially ban Bitcoin. Like, hey, you're not allowed to do it. And like yeah. that, if the U.S. did that, it would it would tank the it would tank the price hard. And then like this, the quote unquote store of value that you have is now lost. So you're still at like you kind of have to play the game with yeah. that in regards. I um, think. Well, you know. So we talk about CBDC, we talk about crypto, and when I was trying to think of ways that you can kind of exist in this world and protect your wealth, 
the only thing I could really come up with is just a, kind of like a uh, being prepared kind of mentality. So there are things that that you will always need. Um, that if you have if you have that now, if you have access to that now, that you don't have to basically buy things. Right. So to give you an example, there are some, and obviously you have to have money to do this, but there are some people that are completely off grid. Uh, aside from being online, but you know they have solar panels, they have battery backup, whatever it is that they have, they don't need to rely on um, uh, supplies of natural gas or propane for propane for their for their backup generators because it's all solar and battery. So they don't have to be connected to the uh, electrical grid. Well, they can create and store their own. energy. And there's. Um, like, uh, Zuckerberg is a big one. Like people, like these billionaires are like making like doomsday bunkers now. Oh like, yeah, yeah. What like and those are all yeah like off grid. I mean we've known people that have done that. You know stored, sea gold guns seeds. Right. You know to grow food oh, and yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Um, I don't think the gold matters much, but the guns, yeah. the seeds, access to water. You know access to to yeah. uh, you know drinkable water. Um, even like in terms of um, transportation. So again, I mean, it's if you have an electric vehicle uh, and you power it from your home with your solar panels, uh, you never have to go to the gas station. You never have to go to a public charger. So you're kind of protected in that way, I guess. Again, it's just it's one of those things. It's like, well, is that how you want to live? Yeah. Well, I, we're talking about the ultimate like doomsday <laughs> scenario. <laughs> I, too, I know. Where in my mind, the only thing that will really matter is guns yeah, to protect 100%. yourself and because, surveillance and surveillance, surveillance because yeah. a you know you have to and a, and and Brian's talked about this a community of of like minded people right. that you have a joint goal of protecting y- yourself. Um, because if you don't have, if you can't protect yourself, then people are just going to come take your shit. Take your shit. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that's that's the doomsday scenario. To right. me, you, you know, we are. Um, you almost, you really have to be diversified to the many things that could happen, right? Mm-hmm. So, the CBDC, right? You don't want to, you know, take all of your net worth and put it out in cash. And, and store it in your safe that, you know what I mean? But you want to have some of it, right? Of course, you want to have yeah. some of it. You probably want to have some of it in gold. You want to have some of it in crypto. But why gold? You know? That's my thing. Why? Well, gold, because it's physic- a physical item that is truly like off. Um, it's truly offline. So like to me, the thing that worries me about just going full-blown crypto is just you have to have an infrastructure of computers and right. and stuff off off there. So if gold is, um, you know, is a scenario where, you know, it's kind of the different degrees. Like to me, the gold scenario is right before the gun scenario. <laughs> so whereas that, whereas crypto to me is a more likely scenario that we've seen because it's, you know, third world countries where they lose – uh, their infrastructure for a while, they're still like able to transact using things like Bitcoin mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. But they're yeah, they're not using gold. To, no, to I'd rather around. have gold than guns any day. And again, if if everything goes to shit, I don't really know how much how much you know how valuable that that physical gold is going to be. Now I understand, 
using gold as a as a hedge against inflation you know, yeah. and you can do that without actually having physical gold and even but having physical gold also involves the the process of like communicating with other people if you need to sell it what do yeah. you sell it for you sell it for dollars or cbdc or what whatever it may yeah. be but right now and maybe that'll change eventually but right now it's like it's all going to go back to dollars so you think that an electric vehicle would be a good doomsday um vehicle yeah as long as you can as you as long as you yeah. have the ability to charge it mm-hmm. without having to worry about being connected to the grid yeah yeah so which even, isn't difficult you get one solar yeah. panel and, and a small um battery backup system yeah and um however you need your battery to last for you get 10 years you should get about years. 10 years out of yeah. it so what happens after that 10 years i don't yeah, know yeah i'm thinking of a gas-powered vehicle you know then you have to find gas for it right. um i guess like a biodiesel truck might be better if you want to make biodiesel. <laughs> hey, well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know some farmers so. that do, but all right. Well, let's go back to EVs in like the actual society that has yet to collapse. <laughs> right. We're not saying that it's not going to collapse. It probably is, um, but it seems to be. And I just read your um, energy and capital about the Hertz situation. Right. Um, so what? Just provide a, a, a overview of exactly what happened with that, because I I just glanced over it. So Hertz got a little bit overzealous and wanted to transition a sizable chunk of their fleet to electric vehicles. And they ordered 20,000 of them. And I remember I first read the news, the year, I think it was a couple of years ago when they made that announcement. It's like 20,000 is a lot of electric. Like well, many, I mean, how many, how big is their fleet though? But then you have, you have to ask yourself the question, how many people do you really, I, I don't think anyone did the research. Right. Like how many people are really going to want to rent an EV. I would, maybe, because I, 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 I drive it's, one. But Yeah, it seems like a novelty, though. I totally think it's a novelty for a lot of people. And one of the problems, well, there's a couple of problems. One of the problems was the high um, repair costs. So apparently, a lot of people were wrecking these Teslas. <laughs> so know? these were 20,000 Teslas. It wasn't other, or is it multiple? Um, was it all Teslas? You know what? I don't know. I, okay. I, I think it, it may have been all Teslas yeah. or maybe majority Teslas. Right. Um, so they they were wrecking probably because they didn't know how to they did not how to drive right so that's what I wrote in the article. or were they were they like the self driving ones no, where they no, were going no, okay no, they, they were just the regular um, the pro- so one of the things is when you go from if you've never driven an electric car one thing you'll notice right away is the acceleration so when you step on the accelerator it just goes there's no like ramp up that you have with right. an internal combustion vehicle yeah. so you know I've like, heard it's fun oh they're fantastic yeah but if you don't know what you're doing yeah. and you hit, you you punch it then you know you're going to be zero to 60 in 2.9 seconds yeah. or whatever it is. And there's people are probably renting it. They're like, oh, and then they take it out. They're like, right. oh, and then psh. Right, right. And then, again, because, you know, you have you had supply chain uh, constraints, um, the cost to repair these things are still quite expensive because there's not – there, I mean, compared to internal combustion, there's not a lot of the supplies that you need to fix these things. So well, if something goes wrong, it's like there's only a finite supply of things that – like materials that you may need to fix it. So many people know how to fix them. You have to go to certain places. So, yeah, well, Teslas, don't they still try to like only – you know, is there like – if you get it – if you crash your Tesla, like Tesla has to fix it for you, right? Uh, no, no, I there's think, dealers that I mean, are I don't actually, know why you like would, repairs. I don't know why you would go to anyone else. Cause Tesla's kind yeah. of like they, when you buy a Tesla, if something happens to it, typically they'll come get you. Um, so if you're on the side of the road, you just on your screen, yeah. you just say, 
you know, the test, I forgot what it's called, but they'll just come get you or, and they have the, they have the ability to, to, you know, fix these cars pretty easily compared to like, you know, Joe's body shop who just learned how to fix electric cars. Right. Um, so that was an issue. Also the issue when, when Elon Musk dropped the price of the Model S's and the Model Y's, the resale value of those vehicles um, had dropped as well. So, you know, like rental car companies, they have them for a while, then they sell them, they sell the cars. So it really affected the resale value. Okay, so they probably a had a projected resale value on there. Right. Yeah, didn't Elon Musk claim that the value of your Tesla was going to go up, though, because of, didn't he claim that a couple a years ago? A long time ago, yeah, yeah. Well, probably at the time it did. Now, mm. because he's it's a race to the bottom again. Everyone's trying to drop the, yeah, drop the I mean, that's how... That's they, how economics works. They had a they had Tesla sold a lot more cars last year than initially expected, but they also you know couldn't sell them for as much money. So you have to kind of weigh your options. I get it. I know why they're doing it. It's because you want to own the market, and that's the thing too about Tesla. And I think eventually more people understand it's not just about them selling cars. You know, it's about them selling electricity. You know, because right. because they make money from the fast charging stations. They're, they have the uh, largest charging network in the country. Well, and a lot of their networks, I guess, are now, or what is the other EV makers are using, right. like, and, and their sort of charging stations. So what is it? Is there, like, adapters at, yeah. like, at there for, like, uh, I don't know, what's the next most popular uh, electric vehicle out there now that's not a Tesla? Um, it's probably maybe a Hyundai Ionic. Okay. Um, or they, you know, I mean, they're not selling a ton of them, but these. Yeah. I say they're probably one of the more popular because they they've seemed to have the least amount of complaints. Okay. You know, since they've come out, I drove one. It's a nice car. Okay. Um, the uh, the range is a little less than a Tesla. If, if you look right. at a Model Y versus an Ionic, but um, it's an, it's still a decent car for sure. Um, but yeah, just there's, there's an adapter. You know, just like with a Tesla, there's an adapter you can use a non-Tesla. Mm -hmm charging station you just put the adapter on it yeah so we've been i mean there's been a lot of debate now with evs with i guess there's this ambitious goal that what by 2030 they want to have half of all cars be electric vehicles or and then the government is saying they want their entire government fleet to be electric by i don't know like 10 years from now like are any of those are any of those realistic? No. <laughs> no. Um, well, no. So I mean, we just talked about government incompetence, right. And and not to trust well, shit, them. Well, shit. I course. mean, look, all this money is supposed to be spent on these electric charging stations. How many have been built since Biden mm -hmm. said we're going to build them? The only electric charging station network that works and is everywhere is Tesla, and that's a, a company that did that, not yeah. a government. So again, show you like if you just let the people, <laughs> don't let the government do it. Just let the companies do it. Yeah. It'll work out. But the um, we were talking about the, the with the charging situation. Um, shit, I lost my train of thought. What were we talking about before the? Oh, the goals of converting oh, everything yeah, yeah. to EVs. So, so initially there. So I look at Bloomberg for their data on this because they tend to be they've been right more times than anyone else in the IEA, the EIA, um, and their projections have shown that by 2030, 50 percent of all new car sales will be electric. Okay. Um, I think we were probably on point for that about a year ago. Don't know if that's going to be the situation now. Um, it'll still be considerable, though, compared to what it is now. I think we're at, like, I want to say 8% penetration now. 
yeah. in terms of on the road. But th- that's the thing. So you had also a lot of car makers that have pulled back. So right. th- we're like, oh, we're going to build all these EVs. Now, like, ah, we're not going to build as many now. So the idea that... Well, the, the Ford Lightning, yeah. they cut their production. Like, is it just the demand isn't what they thought it would be or the demand was was really solid when it first came out right um it's a great truck the downside on that truck is that the um it's heavy so you're not going to get a great range on it even like the extended range which is i think is like 300 miles um in a real world it's not 300 miles it's it's yeah especially in the cold weather significantly less so um and it's just the pricing too you know so that you can get a ford f-150 lightning with a 200 mile range starting at fifty thousand dollars, I mean it was like fifty two thousand at the time, and then you can get the seventy five hundred dollar tax credit. Um, well, Tesla had the Model Y, and then they were able to bring the cost down to I think like forty seven thousand, um, and you get the tax credit still. So it ends up being cheaper, and for most people, a Model Y makes more sense than a pickup truck. Yeah. Um, I do have two friends that have one's a firefighter and one's a farmer, and they both love their trucks because they use them for truck things. Yeah, you know. Um, but I think that was probably one of the problems. Is it's the pricing is still going to be an issue for a while. You know, eventually, you know, the prices will come down. But for now, I mean, how many, especially in this environment, how many people can really spend fifty thousand dollars on a truck that's going to give you probably one hundred eighty miles on a charge? Yeah, I mean, you saw my truck on the uh, this morning. I mean, it's a diesel, uh, eco diesel, whatever that means. It gets more miles. <laughs> it gets a good mouth, but right. like I f- completely fill that up, and it's almost seven hundred miles on, on a on a tank. Yeah, you got um, a big tank. It's a that. big tank for sure, and it's expensive to fill up for sure. But like, you know, that's a big difference between two hundred miles, and then it's cold out, and it's even right. less. Like that's just. It's a pain. It's um, a well, and it's it's an it's just kind of another just like more evidence that um, the industry is still it's still very new, and yeah. they're still trying to figure out these battery chemistries. So we do know that you know if it's not a super cold climate, and and you don't and you're driving, I think the average uh, is 41 miles per day for for 70 percent of the country in terms of their daily commuting. Um, it 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 can work, and it does work. Uh, but then there's always people are still gonna have that range anxiety for a while. Well, yeah, I only drive 40 or 50 miles a day. Yes, my car is gonna give me 200 miles on a charge. But what if I want to take a longer drive? Then they have to start considering public charging stations. It doesn't really happen that often. But that that fear is not gonna go away easily. And I get it. I understand it. I you know I so when I came down here, I have to drive 160 miles to get to the airport. So I live in the middle of fucking nowhere, and Typically, I can drive uh, my Tesla from my house to Albany um, without having to, to charge once because it's 160 miles full. If I get a full charge, I'm like at three, 310 miles. So it's no problem. But it was five degrees when I came down here the other day. So it significantly affects the range of the car. So I did have to stop. Um, I didn't have a full charge when I left, but I did have to stop and charge once on my way. So that took like about 20, 25 minutes of my day, you know, because I had to stop at the charging station and I just went inside the the, the steward station that had it. Yeah, they drink. want you to get some, they yeah, want you yeah. to buy some food. And yeah, they, yeah. I had a cup of coffee. I wasn't really in a hurry, but it's not a big deal to me because, you know, I, I wasn't in a, in a hurry. 
Or right. And, and most EV owners know, like, you in those situations, you have to prepare for that. Um, is it a pain in the ass? Yeah, a little bit, you know. But if you're really passionate about the car and you like the car, you know that 90% of the time you never have to worry about it, yeah. you know. I think we tend to hear more people, the people that don't like the idea of, of EVs, I don't think they're really that concerned about range or the cold weather or stuff like that. They just don't like them. Yeah. You know, and it's fine. I get it. I mean, this, I'm sure the same thing happened when the horse and buggies were, you know, were gone. People <laughs> were like, I like my horse and buggy. I don't have to put gas in it. You know, I just feed my horse and we, we go or you know, there are any number of reasons. It's just change takes time. Um, and, you know, if you th- consider all the people that live in cities or suburban areas where they really don't drive that much, my parents drive maybe 20 miles a day if that, you know. For them to have an electric car makes total sense. Right. Um, as long as they don't crash it. Not crash it. I mean, <laughs> it's no different than any other car, really. And I mean, you have to worry about the fire thing. That's not as big of a deal as they try to make it out to be. So, so if more internal combustion vehicles catch on fire, by the way, than electric cars. Well, not by number. No, 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 no. no. By, no by, by ratio. Percentage. Okay. By percentage. Okay. Yeah. So if the transition takes place in the 50% or whatever, it, it is is the grid like going to be able to handle a bunch yeah. of people because California like then when they were having issues the governor was like don't charge your electric vehicles right. like because you know what I mean there's already grid you know Texas was worried about going down with the cold snap and all this kind of stuff right. like if there's that much stuff on there like where's all this energy coming from and right. how's that going to affect, you know, electricity rates and all that infrastructure? Well, it's great for electric companies because they make more money. Of um, course. The, uh, so there's been a number of studies done on this showing the the percentage of people that have EVs today um, and considering how much electricity can be pulled from the grid at any given time. Um, and for the most part, except in maybe, again, like a state like California, Texas, where there's some um, uh I'd say grid imperfections, you know, um, that have to be fixed. But you also have to consider when people charge their cars as well. Most people charge their cars at night while they're sleeping. Um, I don't think that's always figured into the equation when people are like, well, what happens? You know, it's the middle of the day and I'm trying to charge my car. Well, the data show that most people don't charge a car in the middle of the day. I think the was it the, the the transportation. Well, most people, most electricity use isn't happening during the day unless it's you know. Well, at night's the best time, right? Because you have fewer people using it, and you and it's also cheaper. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you have to keep up. Grid enhancements will have to be made, but they have to be made anyway. Um, I don't. Again, I can just look at the data and extrapolate that it's at least right now it's not going to be a big deal, even at. 50% of all, all new cars being sold by 2030 being electric, that's just new cars being sold. You still have all right. the other cars out there. So it's not like 50% of all cars are going to be electric. You know, and again, I always look at the Bloomberg data showing f- um, 50% new cars by 2030. And I think t- by 2050, it was supposed to be um, something like 70%. So mm-hmm. you still have a fair amount of time before there's ever a situation where it could be a, a big yeah. problem. Yeah. Um, but it seems like a, a good opportunity there because, I mean, we were just talking about that's just electric vehicles. All these other freaking uh, crypto, uh, AI, 
all this other electronic shit, like it all needs energy mm-hmm. and it's all got to, you know, it's all got to come some, from somewhere. Yeah. Um, so that energy demand and electricity in, in general is going to, you know, it's not it's not going away. That's no, sure. it's not. And it does it does beg the question, you know, what it, what will the energy mix look like in 50 years? Because we talk about that a lot. Fusion. You think so? I don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what is it going to be? I mean, we talked about this before about nuclear right. is, is kind of the obvious choice. But um, there still seems to be, you know, it takes a while. I mean, any of this stuff takes a while. But here's the thing with nuclear. It shouldn't take a while yeah. because it's been around for a long time. Right. And the, bo- the bottom line is it's cost prohibitive to build and maintain. No, like a lot of people that love nuclear don't want to talk about that. They'll say, oh, well, the capacity factor is the best with nuclear and it's clean. And, and, and all that is true. Um, but it's so expensive to build yeah. and, and to maintain and to operate. Um, and I know Keith, uh, Keith Cole has written quite a bit about small modular reactors, right. which I think makes they make total sense to me. It's yeah, because like, these big, like gigantic things, it's like. Like you said, the payoff is so long down the road. It's like these companies are like, I don't want to do it. Well, I mean, the, the payoff is really only for those who can build it. Yeah. And then they have to secure the subsidies. Yeah. And they're so massive now that they can't. Yeah. E- when the government says, nah, I don't have enough money, then yeah. you're like, you must really be charging yeah, a lot. We're you know? Yeah, <laughs> you know? we're too busy fighting wars. We can fund wars, <laughs> no problem. But So, yeah, I think SMRs could be a real solution for the nuclear industry. It could really, like kind of push it to like another bull bull market situation. Um, Coal's pretty much done. You know, it's never going to grow. I mean, we had like a a short burst when when thing in Ukraine happened, Um, but that was short-lived. Poland, I think, is like was once one of the largest users of coal, and they're phasing out coal, and they're looking at nuclear. Interestingly, they put an order in, I I think, for like five – Small modular reactors, mm-hmm. um, and I think they're going to be one of the first countries well, to I know, really test on that level. I know China is going hard on nuclear mm-hmm. because they also like even if people are scared of the hold in, they're like, "No, we're doing this. We need this right. energy. Like, we don't really. They're not going to be worried about the Karens that you know the not in my backyard crowd. They're just like, no, nope, it's happening. I, I don't think it's so much the NIMBY is still there, but I think it's mostly the cost. You think you so? Know? So yeah. in China, it's like, well, everything's subsidized in China. So there's right. there's no one going to be like, hey, stop taking my tax dollars. Yeah. You know, whereas here, I mean, there. It, you know, there is a little bit of that still right. where we're just like, nah, nah, we can't, we yeah. can't justify this. So globally, yeah, I think you'll have the traditional nuclear reactors in China or other places where there's more of a dictatorial government yeah. um, that they just do what they want. Uh, I think in the Western world, you'll see more SMRs and um, they just make more sense financially yeah. um, and environmentally. So coal, not really going to go anywhere. Uh, natural gas, I believe, will, you know, is pretty much going to peak and just maintain that way for probably for like another 70 years. Right. Um, and then really your growth is going to be in energy efficiency and conservation and renewables. I mean, that's where you, you continue to see the lion's share of growth. You know, solar grow, grew tr- dramatically last year, but it's still such a tiny percent yeah. of what we produce. Um, so this is one of, the, I, I've talked about this so many times. It's not about, who already has the largest market share, it's who's taking the most market share at, at the most rapid rate. You know, so I'm more interested in growth 
than I am in what's already in existence. Right. That's where you're going to get the most bang for your buck. Yeah. So you can invest in these small companies that are, you know, yeah, you know, they're only gaining small percentage of the mix, but from their perspective, you know, these companies might have doubled or tripled or, you know, 10 X their sales because, you know, because they're gaining that share. So if you can get in early before, um, before that goes up, it's going to be huge. Um, switching gears real fast um, before we wrap up, uh, we got to talk about weed, bro. Weed. So is we've been talking about you know you know obviously weed. Twenty seventeen was when it really. I mean, your subscribers in particular made a crap load yeah. on a bunch of uh, marijuana stocks. Um, and it kind of has gotten more mainstream. So the next, the talk basically now in an election year is like, are they going to just legalize it? And is that, you know, is that is there an opportunity there, or like, how should we be thinking about weed as the as the big money already been made? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's been made. <laughs> and so the the de- or the rescheduling thing was. Um, Essentially, the the DEA has to look at it now and, and just look at the the, informa- the data now and say, okay, are we going to reschedule cannabis from Schedule One to Schedule Two or Schedule Three? Schedule One is basically it has no it serves no valuable purpose for society. So right. cannabis is Schedule One, so is heroin. Right, and I was I was talking to Bolden about this actually last time, uh-huh. and uh, Muno, our uh, one of our um, social media guys, was like, um, he said that cocaine is Schedule Two, right? So, and and I guess Schedule <clears throat> One is the worst. So right now they have weed, right, <laughs> as more dangerous than like cocaine and some of these like more traditional sort of like. I guess white people drugs, <laughs> right? So the the talk is maybe going from Schedule One to Schedule Three, right? So a Schedule Three would allow uh, a lot more research to be done on cannabis, which is kind of stupid at this point. So much research has already been right. done; it's just kind of kind of dragging your. Well, feet you were to talking to me about it. It's like, hey, this is like the step for it. All if they can get it to three, then it's more likely to then go from three to just be D- full would be descheduled, de- de- right? Um, obviously, when you move something out of Schedule 1 in terms of getting funding, it becomes much, much easier. Uh, you know, we've, we've heard a little bit about the banking legislation, the idea that uh, cannabis companies cannot deduct basic operational costs like any other company um, because of the, the scheduling status of it. Um, so it's so a, silly because there's two different, like, there are two different agencies there, right? The DEA is the one in charge of the scheduling. Right. And then the other is what? The the IRS? I mean, Which, like... So I think it was Homeland... Homeland? Uh, not okay. Homeland. It was uh, HHS. Okay. Um, they're the ones that put forth the recommendation to review... Gotcha. Uh, ...the scheduling process. Um, even at Schedule 3, though, technically, it's still federally illegal... You know, even though the states have gone against the feds and said, we're going to do this anyway. Um, I think, yeah, I think it's, it, it makes most sense to just completely deschedule it, yeah. but they won't. They'll go to, they'll probably reschedule it to, to schedule three. And then after a few years, they'll completely deschedule it. Um, that's just, 
the the way the government works. Right. You know, if they're actually going to do something positive, yeah. it's going to take forever to make it happen. So you think you think the big money in weeds already sort of been made? I mean, it's hard to think otherwise when I mean, what was the one that was up like three thousand percent or something? Canopy. Canopy. Yeah. yeah, it's just like you know that it was a true like mania phase at at that time. Um, but it sounds like you're more bullish on the next thing, which is psychedelics, right? Mushrooms, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's the the similarity between the two is they're both federally illegal, right? Um, but it's a little bit different in that, as opposed to um, the cannabis industry, where they were trying to set up dispensaries and you could get medicinal or recreational. Um, the psychedelic stuff is really all medicinal. And there's been just so many um, positive results from early clinical trials uh, using various psychedelics for, you know, uh, anxiety, depression, addiction, um, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, obesity. I mean, so many different things. Um, Yeah, some of the early studies they've said are like mind-blowing on the effectiveness the smoking cessation one i always found really fascinating which is what's that quitting smoking quitting smoking which is i think it was 2008 when johns hopkins first started running this the, these studies um and they've been able to re- replicate them over and over again and the first time they did it uh using psilocybin uh with therapy um they had like an 80 percent success rate yeah so an 80 percent success rate for any kind of addiction is unheard of. Yeah, I mean, especially with, you know, the drug issue that is going on in this country, overdosing the fentanyl mm-hmm. stuff. It just like it doesn't seem to be stopped. Um, they're they're l- gambling too is legalized pretty much everywhere you gamble anywhere. Um, mm-hmm. So there's a lot of uh, addictions that. You know, it's not just, you know, smoking or whatever. There, there's tons out right. there um, that this could potentially help out. Um, well, you know, one of the founders of Alcoholics Anonymous actually promoted psychedelics as a potential way to treat alcoholism. Really? Yeah. Recently? Or no, it was a long time, a long ago, time ago. Before he died. Um, and you were, you, you were saying you got some... You got some gummies. I did. So here's, here's the weird thing. So from an investment standpoint... I'm very interested in the companies that are that are in clinical trials right now. Yeah. Um, they're really biotech companies. Yeah, I was gonna say they're. It's not like um, you, you think like a weed company or like something. You'd be like, okay, I want to invest in the people that are growing this and selling this. But that's not really the case with, no, with no, this. this. Is all... They're not like a bunch of mushroom farmers. <laughs> no, no. And a lot of it that they're doing is, is just, they're analogs. They're not even real mushrooms. They're just creating analogs of those those molecules. Right. Um, so they're, they're going to have uh, the – so there's a um, – and I think Alex talked about this too, the using MDMA to treat PTSD for veterans. So that – went through um, phase three clinical trials last year and proved successful. So the so we suspect that this year the FDA will actually approve um, this particular MDMA therapy um, and it will be legal and it will be approved and people can start using it. Um, the interesting thing was the American Medical Association put out what's called a CPT code, which essentially is a code that is given so that insurance companies can cover the cost of a particular medication. 
they announced that they were going to um, that they approved the CPT codes like right after those phase three clinical trials proved successful. So that tells me that the FDA they're, is going to put this out on the market preparing. probably by the end of the year. But is that still is that still schedule one? Like, do they have to reschedule it in order for that to happen, or is that so? Because it has it has to be prescribed. Right. You can't just go to a dispensary. It has to be prescribed by a doctor. Gotcha. So it's a little different. Um, there are a number of companies that are in you know phase one, phase two, even phase three clinical trials now, and those are the ones I from again from an investment point of view I like because even at phase two. So if you have a company that gets through phase two clinical trials and those trials prove successful, they don't even have to go to phase three because a bigger pharma company can come and just buy it, either buy the company or buy the IP. Either way, if you if you own shares of that company, you know, and you know a big pharma company comes along and buys it. Say Pfizer come along comes along and buys it. Well, yeah, that's when buy you. It at a premium and you're yeah, get that's cash. when you see these, uh, you know, overnight uh, gains of you know hundreds, sometimes thousands right. percent when it comes in, and that can pretty much happen at at any time. Right. You know, well, it's not like oh, their their drug trials about to release here. Like they kind of. Maybe get the word out there that like, hey, hey, it's it's looking good, and then so it's on top of that you get the buyout, but then it's like it's validation that Pfizer or whatever these big guys isn't going to buy them if they if they didn't have something. Like I'm sure they're they're not just buying it on a whim. They kind of are doing the research and and being like, okay, we oh, yeah. looked at the early stuff and we we think there's something here. They're following all of that. I don't typically, well, I have in the past, but these days I won't really. I don't want to say I won't, but usually I won't buy uh, a psychedelic stock if that company is not in at least phase two clinical trials. Okay. If they made it to phase two, then it's okay. Um, if they made it to phase two, then that, then then there's an opportunity here for um, for an exit. Phase one, there's really, you're not going to, it's very unlikely anyone's going to buy IP or buy the company at phase one, unless it's really cheap. Um, which has happened a couple of times. But for the most part, I like to see them at least in phase two, but before we start investing, um, because again, there, there's an opportunity that you don't have to wait till phase three or wait for the, you know, the medicine to get on the market, which could be even after those trials, could be another five years, you know, FDA has fast tracked a lot of that stuff, um, which is also helpful. Uh, but getting back to the mushrooms that I, the, the psilocybin I got were gummies. This is not medicinal at all. And it's fascinating to me because there are right now there are companies that are online selling. You can buy psilocybin gummies online. You know, use your credit card, buy or Bitcoin if you want, and buy or your, your CBDC and, and buy yeah CBDC and buy your um, your uh, psilocybin gummies. So um, I got some, and I took them a couple of weeks ago when I was in Arizona. I was in Sedona. Oh, that was a great place to take mushrooms. You sure. Know? Yeah. Um, but I never, I've done mushrooms plenty of times and uh, I love them and I don't do them all the time, but maybe once or twice a year I'll do them. And, but I've never done an actual gummy. It's usually just have the mushrooms. Yeah. So I didn't really know, are these like edible, cannabis edibles or is one going to be too much? I right. don't know. So um, I did a, I just did a small amount. Um, oh, you didn't eat the whole bag? No, no. <laughs> I ate a small amount, so I didn't have any visuals or hallucinations or anything like that. Um, but they were quite nice. I mean, it definitely put me in a, in a really great mood and it um, very relaxing uh, state of mind. Uh, I was very actually really impressed with them, um, and I have more. And I'm probably gonna, I don't know, maybe in a few months, go camping and uh, and take more to see 
you know, if I see any visuals the next time, I'll just probably like triple the amount that I take. Interesting. Yeah. But it's, there's like maybe five companies I've seen so far that are selling these things online. Okay. I mean, technically it's illegal, but I don't know, maybe because, because they're, they're, they're set up to be microdoses. So there's such a small amount. Right. I was going to say it's a small, yeah. it's a small amount. So, so maybe but. that's. How well, after this is released, they're, they're going to get <laughs> shut down. <laughs> well, I, I just wonder, too, when you think about all the things that the government has to, is trying to deal with right now, whether it's war or infrastructure, how much time are they really going to put towards trying to shut down the company that's selling? Well, yeah, and you, and you look at the decriminalization um, thing that, that has happened with weed you know it's like that's the first step too is like the ambivalence towards it and then you know but in order to like really scale up then you need to kind of jump through all the uh, all the hoops of of doing what you need to do Um, yeah i don't know how much money they could possibly be making doing that because i don't think they were too expensive i mean the, the the cost of mushrooms has quadrupled in the past couple of years but it's still pretty cheap and if mm-hmm. if you're just making microdoses it doesn't seem like it's going to be that expensive to make these things so the margins would probably be pretty good um but in volume i just don't know how much they could possibly make yeah yeah it it definitely isn't isn't mainstream um the way you might consider marijuana is um you know these days so right all right well um this has been a great conversation, Jeff. What do we discuss? EVs, CBDC. We'll put it in the table of contents. How messed up the government is yeah. and mushrooms. Yes. <laughs> it's a great one. Uh, so remember to like, comment, and subscribe. Particularly comment. We love the comments. Mm-hmm. Even if Jeff, they're rude. Yeah, yeah, Jeff loves when you just do troll <laughs> yeah. comments. Tell underneath. me how much EVs suck. And yeah. yeah how he loves, loves weed is comments. ruining the world. Yeah. I love those. It's yeah, my yeah, favorite. Yeah. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks.